Welcome to Chowder and Grits. Today is Monday, May 20th, and we are back from a little hiatus. we got a lot of stuff to talk about today. One, we're refocusing this podcast a little bit, but not to worry. We're still bringing you all of the same great content that you've grown accustomed to. Uh, we've got a lot of uh, ACC football to talk about, NFL draft recap, and uh, some news and notes uh, that, you know, some are getting us fired up. We've got a very fun segment that I'm looking forward to uh, that has to do with a uh, a video game, uh, probably the greatest video game of all time that is no longer. So uh, before we jump into that, Tim, what's happening? Uh, you know, I've been alone all weekend, so uh, you would think I would be doing more things. But as a matter of fact, when the kid and the wife are gone, that means you do a lot less things. So I've been on the couch. I've been watching baseball. I just inflated a baby shark pool and filled it with water so it could get warm before my daughter gets here. Um, I've had a great weekend. I can't complain. And uh, yeah, the Braves called Austin Riley up. He's raking it, killing it, knocking in home runs. So I'm having a great weekend. How about you? Uh, you know, just living the dream. We uh, we drove down to to Tennessee. Um, little uh, little family event going on this weekend. So uh, yeah, it's been uh, it's been busy. But um, you know, one thing I wanted to hit on real quick, and and this kind of blew my mind. So Mother's Day was last week, right? And um, you know, one of the things that you do for Mother's Day is you get a card and some kind of gift. So I go into what I would consider, Tim, correct me if I'm wrong, the mecca of card stores. Right. Which, what would you classify as the mecca of card stores? I would classify that as Hallmark. Correct. I'm here to tell you Hallmark had not a single card What for Mother's Day. How is that possible? I was there four days in advance. Nothing. We had... Weddings, we had funerals, we had birthdays, we had fun, we had God only knows what else. Nothing for Mother's Day. No gifts, no cards. Hmm. And then on top of it, uh, I had a little bit of a panic moment. I um, So I'm in the store buying, buying some flowers, so I'm like, you know what, I'm going to buy local this year, Tim. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to support my community. Go into a florist. It was a madhouse. <laughs> I immediately started panicking. Got a lot of anxiety. Didn't know what to do. There was no menu. There was no way to... <laughs> there, was, there was nothing to, to select. Um, I was like listening for other people to, to order just so I could like listen as to what they were doing. Get those hot flower that, tips. Like I swear, there was like seven, eight like guys with kids in here. Oh my I was, gosh sans kid but the people in front of me ordering were just like i'll take that i'll take this and i was like oh my god i like i don't know what to do <laughs> so the lady comes up to me and i'm like yeah i'll just take two dozen roses please <laughs> thinking like that's a safe sure. like, you know it's very safe <laughs> so she's uh she's like so do you want the vase i was like no he's like i've got like 55 vases at home from other times that i've bought flowers right right he's like well it's already in the vase i was like okay i'll take the vase <laughs> take the vase <laughs> I'll Take do the it. base. So, you know, we haven't discussed transaction price at, at this point. Sure. So finally, she gives me the thing. It's all ready to go. It's wrapped up in plastic because it's windy. You know, mm-hmm. Chicago. Flowers. 
She rings it up. She's like $132. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> so the reason I decided to, you know, support my local community was one, when you order off of something like 1-800-Flowers or Pro Flowers or whatever, mm-hmm. you're always paying exorbitant shipping fees. Always. $15, $20, $25, if I forgot. Oh, yeah. You know, got to rush it. I was walking it out the store. No shipping, $132 for two dozen roses and possibly the most expensive vase of all time. Look, I'm no flower economics guy, but that sounds astronomically high. You know, it's probably a situation where around Mother's Day, the the local flower conglomerate gets together and they're like, you know what? Let's jack these prices. If everybody raises their prices, we're all going to make out like bandits. Well, you know, it's 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 something that doesn't I'm not really going to worry about the price most of the time with this. Like I was expecting I'm going to get out of here 80 bucks because that's pretty much the going rate of flowers right. these days. Right. One hundred and thirty two dollars. Mm. So I don't know if there was any other guys like me, but, you know, maybe next time I'll just do like a dozen roses. Right. And, you know, spend the rest on a, a dinner or something like that. Yeah. But. Yeah, yeah, I felt uh, I felt violated. I felt uh, confused. Yeah, um, I'm not sure I'll go back there, but maybe I will. Need a damn payment plan next time you go in there. And maybe they'll give you six months no interest on that. You know, twelve roses situation. You know, I should have asked. Yeah, you know, just to to be sarcastic, I was like, "Well, do you have a payment plan for something like freaking layaway? <laughs> Get out of here, man!" That was uh, I was not expecting that. <laughs> no. Uh, so yeah, so like, like I said in the beginning, we had a little bit of a layoff. Um, and in that time we, we did some reflecting and we're still going to bring you all the best content across the ACC, but we are going to have a little bit more of an emphasis on Virginia Tech, uh, football and basketball when the time comes for that. Uh, but like I said, we're still covering everything ACC. It's really going to feel like a, like, um, like business as usual, um, as we head into summertime, because we are going to bring you a spring game recap, kind of leading up to summer practice. Uh, so after after this episode, we are going to go school by school. Uh, we might group some of the uh, smaller schools together, the schools at the bottom of the list, uh, just to save some time, because there's about 10 weeks until a summer, summer practice kicks off, and you know we want to bring you a... Uh, a little re or a preview of what's to come. So stay tuned for that. I think that'll be uh, really fun and an easy way to kind of recap last season, you know, talk about who left, who's there, how spring practice went, who's coming in. Um, I think, uh, I think we'll have a lot of good nuggets for you there. Yeah. We're excited about it. Um, so Tim, let's, let's just jump right into it. I think for me, the biggest story that, um, has affected any program in the ACC just because of the idiocy around it is the Brock Hoffman transfer situation. So for those that aren't familiar, Brock Hoffman, offensive lineman uh, from Coastal Carolina, uh, decided he was going to transfer to Virginia Tech to be closer to his mother, who was uh, you know coming back from, I believe it was a brain tumor. So... Brock was in a situation where he decided to file the medical hardship waiver, you know, very common practice. And the way that that works, Tim, 
is in order to qualify for that medical hardship waiver, you have to be in a hundred mile radius of the school that you are transferring to. Right. Well, it just so happens that Brock fell five miles outside of that range. So we're talking about 105 miles. The NCAA then decided that, you know what, Brock, since you didn't follow the rules and you fell five miles outside, and oh, by the way, it looks like your mom's doing a whole lot better, um, we're going to go ahead and deny your transfer request. So this is the same NCAA that allowed guys like Tate Martell and Justin Fields to transfer successfully because they weren't getting any playing time. This is the same year, within a couple of months of each other, those two guys are going to be able to play football in the fall for a brand new team because they decided to leave because they couldn't beat out the next guy that was up on the roster in front of them. So that's just kind of the situation where we're in today with the NCAA. It has become an absolute laughing stock of a league. Um, I I was glad to see the national media kind of jump all over this. Um, Brock had a little campaign going on as well. So he is filing a, a uh, appeal. He did hire the same lawyer uh, that helped Justin Fields along the way. But Tim, I didn't know what your immediate reaction was, but I assume disgust. Well, I just, I don't get it. I mean, I'm at the point now where the NCAA just is, is one of the most idiotic organizations in history. You've got... You've got an organization that has an issue with its image. Um, people complain that it's corrupt all the time, and, you know, it sure seems it. Um, you know, they look out for the big boys, uh, the people that make them money. UNC cheated for 20 years, and, and nothing happened to UNC. Um, you know, systematically cheated. It, it was a horrible case. Um, well, the NTA president is a UNC alum. Right, just, right, and, and we're sure, sure that has nothing to do with it. No, um, not at all. Why would it? But let a kid at Alcorn State get a free taco from Taco Bell, and they get the death penalty. It's that kind of stuff that I don't understand with the NCAA, and it's led to a horrible image issue with them where people get frustrated with the NCAA at the drop of a hat. You would think they would have the foresight as an organization to see this, the facts around it, and realize this was not a hill worth dying on. And there they are, choking and aspirating on their own blood on that hill. For what reason? I have no idea. But it really paints them in a horrible light. Eventually, the NCAA is going to have to start saving face. I don't know when that's going to be, but they're going to need new leadership. I have no idea how this has happened. But you have to think. Cooler heads are going to prevail. And after this appeal, Brock Hoffman will be playing. But it's even if he is, it's still ultra concerning that we find ourselves here at this moment. I just don't understand it because this was an easy win for the NCAA. And if they approve it, nobody outside of like the Mid-Atlantic, ACC, whatever division Coastal Carolina's in, nobody even even hears about right. this until the football season starts and they're featuring Brock Hoffman on their you know, pregame because it's a great story and he's trying to be close to his mom and help out his family. Right. But no, we're going to go ahead and make a mockery of ourselves in the process. Mm -hmm. And like I compared it to the Fields and Tate Martell situation, like the transfer rules today are just so jacked up. Yep. And just like anything else, the NCAA refuses to address it publicly mm -hmm. and just 
starts making these little tweaks to the rules. But if you're going to the big boys, if you're leaving Georgia and going to Ohio State, or you're leaving Ohio State because the guy from Georgia is coming to your school and you need to go play football somewhere else, oh, I'll go to the U. Well, that's okay. But if I'm going to play at, I don't know, uh, Marshall, you you best better bet you're sitting out for a year. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's no question. And it's just, I don't get it. I can't make heads or tails of this as far as why they've made the decision they've made here. But it's just fascinating to me, again, that we're here. Um, and, and you got to think, all of this pressure and, and the walls caving in on the NCAA when it comes to paying players, I'm not so sure how long this is tenable for in the future. I mean, eventually you're going to have to talk about either leadership change or wholesale changes from the bottom up. And it'll be interesting to see how it happens, but hopefully Brock gets that appeal one and we'll see him in maroon and orange here in the fall. Yeah, I just uh, I, I think everybody kind of thinks this will be corrected because it almost has it to It has be. to, yeah, right? But it just makes me wonder about what happens with the other sports that the NCAA manages, quote-unquote. Yeah. That fall under the NCAA's umbrella because obviously anything that happens in football, basketball, very high profile. We hear everything about it. Right. But are they this strict when it comes to like softball or lacrosse or field hockey or swimming? Like I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, don't, yeah. I don't know I how couldn't the rules tell you. vary there. I couldn't tell you, you know, but if you're a if you're a water polo player and, and they're not gonna let you transfer to your favorite water polo university, you're damn right I'm gonna be talking about Tate Martell and Justin Fields. I mean they they kind of opened Pandora's box with those two decisions and now they're going to have to completely change the way they make those decisions because of the precedent they set. So since we're talking about Tate Martell, who I just cannot wait oh boy. to hate. Oh, boy. Wait <laughs> to hate? I mean, I think I already hate him. <laughs> I, I'm like, I'm so excited to see him in a Miami uniform. <laughs> like, I've never been more excited to see any player in a Miami oh, uniform yeah. than Tate Martell. Oh, yeah. But he claimed recently that Ohio State coaches told him to leave after they knew Justin Fields was committing. Does anybody actually believe that? No, no, no one believes it. College coaches aren't going to want to lose depth at the most important position on the entire football field uh, and shoot themselves in the foot by telling, you know, a, a genuinely, supposedly talented guy to get out of the football program. It just, that makes me think something else was going on behind the scenes where they felt like Martell had something going on where one, he wasn't even gonna he wasn't going to be on the field. Right. Now, he didn't play a lot at Ohio State. He had very limited reps, but when he did play, he played well. Yeah. So I just I, I find it odd that Tate is trying to control the rhetoric, which that's just that's what he's done since he was in high school. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's been documented on the Netflix series, oh, yeah. whatever it's called, QB twelve. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, I mean I, I just don't know what to think with Tate Martell. And to me, he's going to be kind of a a college enigma. I don't think he's ever going to translate to the NFL. Right. I could be wrong. Right. I just don't see his game going to the NFL. And from what I could tell um, from the spring, you know, he, he really struggled um, when he wasn't in the shotgun, which is fine. You know, it's college football. But right. – um, if he doesn't win that starting job in Miami or at Miami, which 
I mean, I think he will. I, I mean, Nikosi Perry, no way in hell he's going to win. No, no. Uh, Jaron Williams, you know, he was a big-time recruit, but he couldn't win the job last year. He couldn't take it by storm. So, to me, it's 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 Tate Martell's job. Yeah. But if he can't stay out of trouble or keep his mouth shut or keep his Twitter fingers under control, then I think Miami's going to have, have an interesting uh, dilemma on their hands. But I'm excited to see it. Yeah, I, don't know about you. I can't wait. I can't wait. You know, I mean, there there's so much potential there for a Hindenburg style crash and burn that you won't be able to turn your head away from. And it's going to happen to one of our biggest rivals, potentially. I, I can't wait. Let's go ahead and get that that blimp in the air. However, um, there's no question there's some talent there. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with with Tate on on field. Right. But some of those narrative controlling issues and you know, what happened at Ohio State, we'll never know. But you can sort of see maybe some character issues forming, some locker room issues. You hate to speculate on stuff like that, but especially what you saw in the documentary, that wouldn't be too much of a stretch to uh, suspect that might have something to do with what's going on here. Yeah, I just know that Virginia Tech's losing streak to Miami needs to end this year. And I already know going into that game, he's going to do something to get me so triggered. Yeah. But... All I want to do is win. Yeah. No matter what. You know, I think that was a song. You know, <laughs> CBS had a list come out recently on top coaches in college football, and they broke it down by conference. And I still don't really know what to make of it. Right. I don't really – I mean, these lists are stupid, right? There's nothing else to talk about, but I wanted to talk about it. <laughs> so Manny Diaz comes in at last in the conference. Okay. I mean, no head coaching experience. I guess that's why he's there. Yeah. Number 57 overall in the country. Jeff Collins, Willie Taggart, Pat Narduzzi, Steve Adazio. Now, how is Steve Adazio even in the top 10 of the ACC? I mean, he's been <sighs> nothing but mediocre throughout his entire tenure at Boston College. I mean, he had some success at Temple, but is the only reason he's up there because because what? because he's been the head coach for a few years? Is that why he's ahead of Manny Diaz? To me, Manny Diaz, I'd throw into the top 10. Uh, so kind of sh shaping out nine through five here, Scott Satterfield, Justin Fuente, Mac Brown, Dave Doran. Uh, you know, Dave Doran, I thought might be a little bit higher up on this list. Yeah. Fuente, I don't have an issue with. And uh, Mac Brown coming in at seven. I mean, I guess. Yeah. I mean, he hasn't coached in six or seven years. Where are you, but... you going to put that guy? You know, I mean, I guess you just yeah. kind of assume it's still Mac Brown and you kind of, he's a known quantity. Um, yeah. I, don't, I mean, you could put him anywhere from four to 12 as far as I'm concerned. Right. Uh, one that was interesting, Dave Clawson at number five. Right. Just because he's, he's, Done a nice job at Wake Forest. I think they've got 22 wins in his three years there, and uh, three bowl, three bowls in a row, uh, three wins I believe in a row in all those bowl games. So, um, I didn't have an issue with that one. Dino coming in at number four, Bronco at number three. You know, he apparently catapulted from 41 to 26 overall in the actual in their NCAA college football coaches right. list. Why? I don't. That's a super surprisingly high ranking for a guy that really hasn't proved much at his current destination. 
I mean, again, UVA improved, right? But you would you would expect that, I think, given where they were in his tenure. Uh, David Cutcliffe, Cutcliffe, number two. You know, he he gets a lot of love, but Duke has been kind of yeah the last couple of years, even with some decent talent, yeah. number six overall pick in the draft, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Then Dabo, number <laughs> one, no surprise there, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, interesting list means absolutely nothing. I think the thing I took away from it is every coach was in the top 60 of the overall. Right. Um, and I think guys like Manny Diaz, Jeff Collins will shoot up. I think the wild card is like a Willie Taggart. I, I think he's kind of on the hot seat at Florida State. No and question. The reason I say that is the, uh, the Kendall Bryles hire basically come in to run the offense, which was kind of what Willie was supposed to be doing. Right. Um, so he's already gotten a big part of his job kind of stripped away from him because of his inability to do so last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's see what happens with Willie next year. But, you know, Pat Narduzzi, Steve Adazio, I think Narduzzi's probably okay, but Adazio might not be around after this season. No, I mean, he may not be. And, you know, speaking of, of Jeff Collins, I, I've got, I really think that guy is going to turn Georgia Tech around in short order. I really like Jeff. Um, so you expect some movement on that list. I think people are a little in love with Cutcliffe, and I'm not 110% sure why. Outside of one really good year, he's made Duke, who was always super, super, super underperforming, kind of okay-ish. Um, but there's not a lot of huge signature wins going on with Duke's program in the last six or seven years. Um, they're just kind of beating who they're supposed to beat. And losing some games maybe they shouldn't lose, which I'm not sure that that should get you that high of a ranking. Um, well, I, I think the thing is, too, it's like you're at Duke. Right. So I think they're doing about the best as they can be for the situation that he's in, which I get. Right. But I do think, you know, the, the Peyton Manning thing carries him quite a bit. It does. Because- you hear Peyton Manning and you hear David Cutcliffe and you heard it a ton during the NFL draft. Um, so I'm not I'm not bashing the guy, but you know number two seemed a little steep in this in this uh, ranking for me. It's absolutely steep. He can thank Ted Roof for setting the bar so incredibly low before he got there for all of these accolades that he's getting. Um, you know, Duke's always they they've got great academics. The fan support is what it is, but it's certainly not a place you can't go and win. I mean, look at what Spurrier was able to accomplish down there in the early 90s. Um, you know, it, it's possible to do well there. So, yeah, I think two's high. I think Doran is a little disrespected. I don't think people realize how successful he has been. Um, I mean, head, heading into this year, I think if you looked at the last three years, he's the second most winningest coach in the ACC um, behind Dabo. So doing that at NC State, uh, a team that typically doesn't do well in conference play, I mean, they're, they're a 500 team almost or less almost every year since the beginning of time, it feels like. Um, but the recruiting, the depth he's building, the talent he's pumping out at NC State, I think should get him a little more uh, credit, you know, especially with the, the guys he's putting in the pros, the success he's had on the field. Um, you know, coaches are leaving that staff and getting promotions elsewhere. It's there's good things going for Dave right now, and um, you know he, he's a little disrespected, but he's also kind of a boring guy. So maybe that has something to do with it. 
So CBS also decided that they were going to rank the toughest schedules in college football and broke that down by conference as well. So bad news for Mr. Brown uh, in his rebuilding job that he's got going on at UNC. UNC has the toughest schedule uh, ranked by CBS, followed by Georgia Tech and Louisville. So I think the key there is all three of those guys um, are new head coaches um, to these schools. Georgia Tech and Louisville have massive rebuilding uh, to undergo, especially Georgia Tech, just with the uh, the system shift there. Um, but UNC, you know, it's it's intriguing, and we'll talk about this uh, shortly because they're going to be one of the first ones up about their spring game recap. I think they had like 13 people in attendance at the spring game. Right. So probably not like a ton of pressure on Mac Brown to turn this ship around immediately. Uh, but just seeing them kind of at the top of this list means that, you know, it might take Mac a, a year a year or two to really kind of start getting people excited about this program. For sure. For sure. And he's, you know, Fedora didn't do him any favors as far as talent goes. So the cupboard is maybe a little bare there. And quarterback is going to be interesting going into next year. So um, I don't expect an immediate rebound from UNC, but I think they will be, you know, maybe flirting with 500, which is certainly a lot better than where they were in Fedora's last year. Yeah, so other than that, you know, Clemson comes in at 10. Uh, Virginia Tech has the weakest schedule of anybody, which, you know, you and I are, are close to the program. We would definitely agree with that assessment. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. Uh, if Virginia Tech doesn't win 10 games this year, we got to start talking about do we have the right guys in place to to lead the program for sure because that schedule is pathetic right um and then we got miami and nc state um towards the bottom three as well as far as difficult to go so should be an interesting year um you know we'll talk about the acc a little bit as far as like a talent perspective because this was one of the weaker performances they've had in the nfl draft over the last few years but um, just a little bit of a preview to kind of get you ready. And then um, the ACC, Tim, also decided to release a few a few schedule news and notes, uh, at least for the first few weeks of the season. So uh, ACC Network kicks off, and they've got one, two, three, five games in that first week and that they're featuring. So Georgia Tech at Clemson kicks it off on a Thursday night, 8 p.m. And then uh, Utah State visits Wake Forest on a Friday then on Saturday, we've got three games, East Carolina at NC State at noon, Virginia Tech at Boston College at 4 p.m., Virginia at Pitt, 7.30 p.m., all times in Eastern. So uh, ACC Network has a full slate of games coming your way. Just for those of you wondering, oh, will I be getting the ACC Network? One, don't check right now because it's not out. doesn't launch until August 22nd, 23rd, right. one of those dates. Yep. Um, and it will be right now on Altice, which never heard of that one, DirecTV, Google Fiber, Hulu TV, Optimum, PlayStation View, Suddenly TV Vision, Verizon Fios. And you can also access all ACC Network games like people that live in Chicago have to on ESPN app. So there's ways to watch them. It just might not be on your actual cable provider. So. Just keep checking back with that. I know they're still kind of working on some things, but uh, yeah, one way or the other, you'll be able to to watch this either on cable or via streaming. So great. Uh, 
Um, let's see. Any other big games in Week 2 that they've got? Miami at North Carolina. That should be an interesting Week 2 matchup. Um, South Florida at Georgia Tech. William and Mary at Virginia. That's an upset alert. Then Week 3, uh, Furman at Virginia Tech. So hold on to your hats. Sure. And then um, that's a f- – no, that's a Saturday game. And then Florida State plays Virginia in prime time in week three on the ACC network. Did I hear so. you say William and Mary at Virginia, that's an upset alert? Yeah. I just <laughs> throw that love it. I love it. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, so, Tim, another one of the big stories that is circulating around college football right now, and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on the details of this – but compensating players. Mm-hmm. So NCAA is put to, uh, well, I don't know if it's a committee, but they've put a few people in charge of kind of looking into, you know, the likeness of players and whether or not they should be making money off of that. I think they've been very clear that the NCAA is not going to be in the business of paying players. Right. Um, one of the bigger reactions that have come out to this is actually Dabo Sweeney who has said in the past, and he reaffirmed that recently, that if NCAA gets into the business of paying players, he'll go coach in the pros. So he seems to be adamantly against it, which, of course, everybody's going to point at his nice, new, huge contract, 10 years, $93 million. Um, But, you know, I kind of get what he's saying, and I don't think... What he means is if players are able to make money off of their likeness, then I'm out, Mm -hmm. which I've never had a problem with. Like if a school sells a jersey with, you know, a certain guy's name off of the back, that shouldn't be allowed if that player cannot make money off of it. Agreed. Unless that player has given that school permission to do so, which I'm not sure that was ever the case or, you know, whatever, you know, measures had to be taken. Sure. Um but, you know, a lot of times you go into these schools and you don't see names on the back of them and you haven't for years, but you'll see like the number seven. Right. So at Virginia Tech, right after Michael Vick was in town, I bet there was a lot of number seven jerseys being sold. So I think that's really kind of what it gets down into, Tim. But really the big news for me, this means NCAA football could be coming back. Oh, yes. That's it. EA Sports, it's in the game. It is. It is. And Kirk Herbstreet is in the game and wants to continue uh, that trend as well because I've seen him on Twitter pushing for this to go through for everyone to kind of huddle together and figure out how to make this happen. EA Sports, I know you are listening to this podcast. Please, please do everyone a favor. Give us what we've been waiting for. It, it's been too long. NCAA 14 feels like it was decades ago at this point. Um, I'll be honest, Tim. So... I have not owned a video game system in probably 10 years. Wow. So it's been a while. Sure. But back in the day when I was playing NCAA football, like it was my job. Right. Because I mean, it really kind of well. was your job at that point. Um, there was a little function on there called the dynasty mode. I'm sure you're familiar. I'm familiar. So what I like to do uh, with one of my one of my close friends is we when we would go by the game, we would sit there for hours 
and name all the rosters. So this is before the cheat codes right. and before it was like online for you to go and download. We literally would sit there from like 6 p.m. Mm-hmm. One night, I kid you not, we stayed up until 6 a.m., 12 hours, doing nothing but naming rosters. Why would we do that, Tim? Why would we do that to ourselves? <laughs> so we could export them and use them in Dynasty mode in Madden. Yeah, absolutely. That's what kind of level we were on. But that's the only level it to It sounds be. really pathetic now listening to that, but that's that's where it was at. No, I mean, I used to do the same thing. I used to name the rosters before I realized that I could download them and skip a lot of work in the process. But, that, I mean, that game was the signaling of college football every year. I mean, I remember waiting breathlessly as a middle schooler um, and a high schooler at the local GameStop or, or Electronics Boutique or whatever it was at the time waiting for the guy to come in with the box on release day crack open you know whether it be joey harrington on the cover um you know whoever getting to see that game getting to see what yeah the piano man getting getting to see what stadiums they've added um you know if they added the most recent renovations to whatever your favorite team stadium was in dynasty mode couldn't wait to crack into it man i really my heart has a big ncaa 14 or ncaa in general uh hole in, in in the heart right now and it's it's not uh it's not being filled and it needs to be so tim who were your top three teams in dynasty mode to take to the promised land so uh the first one i don't know why but arkansas uh became an absolutely yearly tradition for me uh this is back when tony bua was uh on the hogs and i just loved everything about arkansas because they were kind of a lower tier sec program and living in Georgia at the time, I loved taking teams and stomping the hell out of the Bulldogs with them. Um, so for me, uh, we had we had uh, we had Arkansas, we had Rice. I loved Rice because of the recruiting grounds they had. They had Texas, um, which is if you played the game, you know that Texas is just chock full of recruiting talent, um, as it is in real life. And they had a, a big on-campus stadium, um, cool uniforms, and they were terrible. You know, which I always loved because I love to take those one-star teams and turn them into six-star uh, perennial powerhouses. And then South Carolina, for some reason, I really like beating the heck out of Clemson and the end of the year in a rivalry game. And so those those became like the teams I was always playing year in and year out. So we had a rule where it had to be a really bad school. Sure. So it was. In Dynasty mode, I rarely played with like uh, Virginia Tech or, you know, anybody like that. Right. So my teams, San Jose State was number one. Okay. That was my good I, I got good recruiting with San Jose State. SMU was number two. Mm. Another good one. Because they were in the absolute gutter back in the day. Yeah. A little bit better now, but they still kinda, they're still kind of terrible. Sure. And uh, number three, this was the biggest school that I would use, Stanford. Oh, man. Because back when we were in high school, they were really bad. Right, right. They started getting better when we were in college. Um, but, yeah, those those were my three. I don't know why San Jose State. I uh, just kind of picked them one day, and I was like, this is, this is my school. And then I started reeling off national titles. Right. Like it was my job. Well, dude, that sounds awesome. I, uh, I, I miss those days really, really badly. And... Shout out to OperationSports.com. If you do have an Xbox 360 or PS3 and you still have your copy of NCAA 14, they are updating the rosters yearly still. 
So if you've got that itch and you want to play NCAA football with some updated rosters, you can find a disc of NCAA 14, a PS3 or an Xbox 360, and uh, yeah, go to work as soon as those rosters are released. And usually they're out around the first week of the season. So Can you really? I didn't realize that. You can. Yeah, you still can. They still have the uh, servers up to download the rosters, uh, which I appreciate that. EA Sports is very kind of you. Um, but yeah, Operation Sports does great work as far as uh, getting those rosters updated, uh, all the likenesses in, and really good ratings. So it, it's still a viable thing. I still like to go back, though, to the days of NCAA 2005, 2004, 2006 on my original Xbox, though, when I want to play. Um, those were the uh, the glory days. So something that looks like it would be in a video game is a football game at Fenway. <laughs> Absolutely. And for those that are familiar with the Ivy League, I think uh, Harvard and Yale have been playing there for at least a couple years. They played there last year. Um, But now the ACC is going to be playing a bowl game there in 2020. Okay. um, Along with the American Conference. So they will play at Fenway Park. And uh, that will mean there will be 43 bowls in 2020. So... If you're not making a bowl, then you are in the 35% of teams that cannot make a bowl game, which would be pretty bad. That'd be tough. So go ahead, get to that six-win mark, make the bowl. Uh, don't know what this is going to be called yet, but I'm excited for the name. I hope it's something like really like New Englandy. <laughs> right. Uh, so I had a couple of ideas. One, Chowder and Grits. Ooh. Obviously. Strong name. Bowl. Strong name. Okay. Um, number two chowder and then number three was grits perfect yeah what do you think i think you have a gift is what i think okay thanks that's fantastic um so yeah uh obviously i don't think any national championships are going to be played there but um you know that might be a fun game to go to if you know your school gets up there um you know it's probably going to be way out of the way and it's going to be super cold but it gives me hope for Wrigley Field one day if we can get a bowl game there. That oh, would be, man. That'd be a whole lot of fun. That, that would be great. Be. I would come up and visit you for that one. Absolutely. Um, the other thing that I found, found was interesting, and I think we can relate to this. You know, when we were in class um, back in the day and there was a Thursday night football game, we always wanted classes to be canceled. Bingo. Clemson's doing that this year. Home opener. Thursday night, they are canceling classes. What's your take? I love it. I mean, it, it didn't make sense to me, those Thursday night what games. What about the academics, Tim? Well, you know, academics, it's... The NCAA doesn't give a shit about academics. Why should we? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, shoot. That's very true. They don't give a damn about any of that. It's all fake with them, as we know. So why would we care? And it's about time that we lined up with, you know, the the parent institution that is hosting these games and... Just stop acting like academics are important on a Thursday night when there's a football game on campus. Yeah, I agree. That's my I, uh, What I would hate is having the 8 a.m. the next day. Oh, God. And they would basically require attendance. Yes. And a lot of times they would keep you there for 15 minutes and let you go. Yeah. You ever have that happen? I if did. Especially if you're in a like large lecture hall. Mm-hmm. And be like, yeah, we just wanted you to come. Um, for those that aren't here, they're not getting, you know, five points of extra credit on this test. Right. Go back to bed. Right. And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what kind of like, why? I mean, that's a bigger waste of time than just canceling class. Yeah. 
I mean, seriously, take your extra credit and stuff it. Why did you make me show up to class? Nobody is functional in 8 a.m. after a Thursday night in Blacksburg. No one. No. No. But yeah, I mean, we, we had a couple that would do that. I had a couple that would cancel after, and those were the real OGs. Um, you know, we, we loved those teachers that would go ahead and say, you know what, I realize it's 10 o'clock on a Friday, but we're going to go ahead and cancel because we know you guys are going to do what you do as college kids on a Thursday night. But um, yeah, it's the right thing to do. Look, those that's an event. It's a day, at least, what do you start at 10 on a Thursday for a night game in college? I mean, there, there's oh, no time for class. Yeah, no, it, it's an all-day thing. Like that, I had a test one time. I can't remember who we were playing, but... It was at like a three o'clock class. And I mean, just having a test on that day. Oh gosh. It's like you're so distracted. It's brutal. It's like I know you're I know you're in school for school, right? Right. But one of the benefits of being at school are the extracurricular activities. Mm-hmm. Football, football season. Can we just go ahead and make sure we take a look at the the exam calendar and not put it on that day? Right. Fairly easy stuff. Please, we could have done it on Tuesday before. I'll stay after. Yeah. I don't care. Look, I'm, just, I'm all about it. Not on actual game day. I will put in effort, all right, and I'll make sure that I do what I'm supposed to do, and we can make it up whenever you want to make it up, but just keep it out of game day or the morning after at 8 a.m. Keep that out of there, too. So, Tim, the uh, big thing that's happened recently, not really related to college football, kind of, NFL draft. Yeah. Um, we had a disappointing performance from the ACC, which we kind of expected. Sure, sure. That being said, uh, seven out of the first 18 picks came from the ACC. So I think that was pretty pretty solid. But unfortunately, only 28 players drafted this year. Um, that averaged about two per team. We were last in the Power Five, which anytime you're finishing behind Pac-12 and anything in the Power Five, you know, that's kind of embarrassing. So... Uh, Big 12 averaged about 2.6 players per team. Pac-12, 2.75. Big 10, 2.86. And the SEC, a whopping 4.57. Jeez. So, over the last uh, five years, or at least uh, for 2018, you know, the ACC had uh, finished second four out of out of those five years to the right. SEC as far as players drafted. In 2018, there was 45 players drafted out of the ACC. And um, I think what we saw this year was some of our key premier programs just had less players go. Virginia Tech didn't have a player drafted for the first time in 25 years. You know, why is that? Well, anybody who follows Virginia Tech knows that there was a lot of attrition that took place. Mm Uh, from 2018 to 2019, a lot of suspensions, a lot of guys kicked off the team. Some of those guys entered the supplemental draft. Um, so, you know, there were reasons around that. I wasn't so hung up on them. Louisville, Georgia Tech also didn't have anybody uh, selected. So those were the three teams in the ACC. And if you go ahead and look at the records and their performance over the last year, I don't think that should come as too much of a surprise. No. Um. The other thing that really kind of played into it as well is Florida State. So you only saw two players out of Florida State get drafted. Right. And people talked about how in Jimbo's kind of latter days, you started to see recruiting really start to fade away. Right. And to me, it it wasn't any more obvious than this year in the draft when you only saw two guys get drafted 
they had the worst year they've had in like 30 years um, last season. So part of it might have been Willie Taggart in his new system. I think part of it was probably on Jimbo as well, leaving the cupboard pretty bare. Absolutely. Um, but, yeah, I don't know what your reaction was watching the draft and just the lack of ACC players were there, but I wasn't honestly that surprised. No, I mean, I wasn't either. It, it was kind of understandable, and, you know, the, the usual suspects were there. I think NC State had three or four guys drafted. Um, you know, Florida State a little lower, but that was to be expected, as you mentioned. Um, you know, it's just kind of one of those things that's cyclical, and I don't think that this is anything but a statistical outlier. I don't think it's uh, anything indicative of an overall trend of a lack of talent in the ACC. Um, I think the ACC is as strong as ever, um, and I certainly expect the ACC to have a lot more people drafted next year. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously the main takeaway as far as the, the, the ACC goes and NFL talent, um, yeah, we had, a, we had a quarterback drafted in the top 10. Look at that. Everybody saw that coming. Yeah, so I, I think really the top 10, um, you know, ACC had two players and neither was really anticipated to go in the top 10. So of the first 18 picks, like I said, seven were in the ACC and that was from five different schools. So Boston College, Duke, Florida State, NC State, and then Clemson had three guys. Right. The first pick from the ACC was fourth overall, Clellan Farrell out of Clemson, defensive end. Goes to Oakland. This was a guy who I was seeing, you know, the, every all the experts were saying, you know, uh, maybe towards the latter part of the first round. Right. Mid to latter part of the first round. And then Mike Mayock, and if anybody's familiar with Mike Mayock and his mock drafts, he was a little bit off the wall. And he would have guys, like, way up on his board, uh, especially compared to, like, a Todd McShay or a Mel Kuyper. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've followed the draft for years. I always thought Mike Mayock's rankings were a bit odd, just in relation to everybody else. Sure. And we saw that with Cleveland Farrell. That being said, one defensive player of the year in the ACC, super talented guy, just thought maybe they kind of reached for him a little bit there at four. Mm-hmm. And then you get Daniel Jones at number six. And so, you know, Daniel Jones is basically Eli Manning 16, 17 years ago. I agree. Because they're like the same demeanor, same exact personality. Both have ties to David Cutcliffe. I'm pretty sure Daniel Jones was part of the Manning quarterback academy. Um, Wasn't surprised to see him go there. And to me, like if you're the Giants and you need a quarterback and he's your guy and you think he's going to go, you got you to gotta take him there at six. You can't risk it. If you think he is the guy, you have to take him. Now, it's easy to sit back and say, well, you know, they took him too early. And their GM, Dave Gettleman, was very adamant that he had intel that people were going to take him. You just never know with quarterbacks. Right. Because anybody can come up from 27 to 10 and take Patrick Mahomes out of Texas Tech, shock the world, who the hell would take Patrick Mahomes that high? And then, boom, two years later, he's the greatest quarterback in the NFL. Yeah. yeah. So you just don't know who's got the scouting report on these guys, who likes them, who doesn't, who's got the ammo to move up. The Giants had plenty of ammo in this draft if they wanted to go back up and get them if they chose not to take them at six. But they did. Um, We'll see how that turns out. You know, he, I think he's going to be in a situation where he's going to sit for a year, maybe two, depending on how much longer Eli plays. I don't think he's a guy that fans are really going to be calling on like immediately 
to get onto the field, like maybe a Kyler Murray if he was drafted by the Giants. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, it is. It's a crapshoot when it comes to quarterbacks because, like you said, they play those things close to the vest. Anyone can technically jump up and take whoever they're in love with. Uh, obviously, getting Daniel Jones where they did was a bit of a stretch at six. Um, you know, you could have seen him falling into the second round and it wouldn't have necessarily shocked anybody. But, you know, if Dave Gettleman, who clearly feels very strongly about Daniel Jones, wants Daniel Jones, well, by God, uh, he can make it worth it as long as Daniel pay, uh, pans out. It's going to be tough for Daniel, right? Because now he's got to live up to that six-pick mantra in the media center of the world in, you know, in New York. And if he shows up in a couple of years and, and looks pretty bad, not only is it going to be pretty spicy for him, but Dave Gettleman's probably going to be looking for a new job. So, um yeah, look at that, man. We get to pay attention to that. I personally like Daniel Jones a lot. I think he's pretty talented. Um, a guy with a big arm, looked really good at the combine um, and impressed some people. The only knock on him is I, I'm not necessarily sure he's a winner, and I don't know how to really uh, quantify that, or I don't really know what evidence to point to to say, uh, you know, this is why. But when you watched him, there were certain big moments that he just didn't live up to. Um, and, and he had plenty of times playing big teams to really have some some signature moments. And I don't think we got to see that from him when he was starting at Duke. So uh, we'll see. I think it's way too high, but I do like him as a quarterback. So um, yeah, good luck to him. Yeah. And I mean, again, very similar to Eli, because when Eli was coming out of Ole Miss, like Ole Miss was terrible, awful. Mm -hmm. I mean, just didn't win a lot of games, but they had Eli Manning. Eli was a good quarterback. I'm not going to say Duke was terrible, but it's Duke, you know? Right. There are limitations to the talent that you have on the roster. So, again, I think Daniel Jones is in a, about, from a playing standpoint, perfect situation because he's got a quarterback who is very similar in style to him um, and a quarterback that does catch a lot of flack, but that's because he plays in New York. Uh, he's got two Super Bowl rings. Uh, I think people forget that. Um, I think Eli is uh i'm not sure he's gonna like mentor him exactly mm -hmm. but I, I think eli's kind of a perfect situation for daniel jones yeah um some other guys that were selected in the first round christian wilkins clemson defensive tackle goes to miami at 13 Love him. great pick yep. uh chris lindstrom offensive guard out of boston college goes to the falcons mm -hmm. uh, so paired up with another bc guy there and uh, matt ryan another great pick lindstrom's was, uh, awesome it was their first first rounder, Boston College, as that is, since Luke Keekley in 2012. Very nice. Um, Chris Lindstrom. Or no, I just said Chris Lindstrom. <laughs> Brian Burns, defensive end out of Florida yeah, State, baby. Carolina Panthers. So, you know, he was second in sacks um, in the ACC, six in tackles yeah. for loss. So the uh, the Panthers got a nice little little edge rusher there. Yeah, and you know, with the Panthers switching to, potentially switching to a 3-4 uh, full-time, he would make a really, really good outside linebacker in that scheme. He'll need to bulk up. Everybody knows it, but I think he's got the frame for it. And uh, athletically speaking, he you know he jumps off the charts. So uh, good pick for Carolina there. Uh, Dexter Lawrence, Clemson defensive tackle, Big Dex. Uh, New York Giants. I thought that was a fantastic pick oh, yeah. for the Giants that have a depleted defensive line. Loved it. And then uh, Garrett Bradbury, last pick in the first round for the ACC at number eighteen overall, center out of NC State. Goes to uh, the hated Minnesota Vikings. <laughs> Skull, baby. He was a uh, consensus All-American and highest drafted center in the NFL draft since 2011. 
Yeah. It's a little fun tidbit there. Yeah. Garrett's a guy that really jumps out on you at film in a way a center probably shouldn't. Um, you know, in a zone blocking scheme, his agility and ability to move is really going to pay off for him. I think uh, Minnesota really knocked it out of the park there, too. So I really like the ACC guys taken in the first round. I'm pretty high on all of them, except maybe Daniel Jones. Um, you know, but Bradbury, obviously, I think has got all-star potential at center. I love the defensive tackles out of Clemson. I think both of them, especially Wilkins, were great picks. I think Cleveland Farrell even, I think, was a good pick, even even maybe a little high. Uh, and Lindstrom, I think, is going to be a shoe-in for an all-star guard in the NFL. Um, but, you know, really good showing from the ACC as far as quality goes. Yeah, so, you know, the, with the seven picks in this year's draft, that's 86 first-round draft picks in the last 15 years, uh, going back to 2005. So second-highest uh, total among all conferences behind the SEC, of course, which is well into the hundreds. Right. Um, you know, I think probably, again, just a down year for the ACC, but uh, but I think they'll be back. You know, just a couple of other notable players that got drafted. Um, I thought Ryan Finley to the Bengals is interesting. It is. Uh, fourth round, 104 overall. Um, they were actually talking like he might press Andy Dalton for for reps there. So, I seriously doubt that in this first year, uh, but maybe there comes a time where they're ready to move on from Andy Dalton, um, just because it's it's been pretty stagnant there in Cincinnati for quite a while. But uh, be it'll be uh, fun to follow Ryan Finley. Uh, you know, really shame on the Oakland Raiders for ruining what was a surefire Hall of Fame situation for Hunter Renfro going to the New England Patriots. <laughs> um, <laughs> they oh, selected man. him. In the fifth round, 149 overall. Um, again, just really devastated. He didn't land where where everybody expected him to go. But, uh, you know, good for him. Nice story, walk-on situation. And, you know, there he is getting drafted in the NFL. Quadri Olison, running back out of Pitt. Uh, one of their uh, tandems goes to Atlanta Falcons. Uh, and then Kelvin Harmon was one of the other guys that pulled out number s- in the sixth round, number 206 overall, wide receiver at NC State, goes to the Washington Redskins. So right. he fell a little bit further down the list than I kind of expected him to. But um, at the end of the day, the Redskins get a 1,000-yard receiver in the sixth round. You know, I think that's a, a pretty good a pretty good get. Heck, yeah. No, I think it's a, it's a great landing spot for him. He gets to play with Haskins, and they're both uh, New Jersey kids. It'll be interesting. I was surprised he fell as far as he did because I think body-wise, uh, skill set-wise, he's made for the NFL. He's like an Enquan Bolden clone. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. I think he's got all-star written all over him, but I'm extremely biased in his case. We'll see, uh, but certainly didn't expect him to fall as far as he did. So as always, there are a number of underclassmen in the draft that do not get drafted. There were 144 underclassmen. Uh, that entered, 44 were not chosen. Oof. So that's quite a bit. Eight of those guys were from the ACC. So Anthony Ratliff-Williams, wide receiver out of UNC, uh, very raw talent. He ended up signing mm-hmm. with the Titans. You know, Greg Dortch, he was a guy out of Wake Forest who Loved him. kind of like just, you know, multifaceted player. I think his issue is size, right? He's like five foot right. seven. Right, it's got to be size and maybe somewhat combine related too. Right? Maybe his numbers didn't look very good. So he ends up signing with the Jets. Um, Hamp Cheevers, cornerback out of Boston College, signs with the Titans. Jacoby Myers out of NC State. Mm-hmm. Uh, he actually lands with the Patriots. Joe Giles Harris, linebacker out of Duke. 
uh, ends up in Jacksonville. Trey Lamar, Clemson, goes to the Lions, and then a couple of offensive linemen at the end. But, you know, I think the big thing with these guys is the only guy that I just mentioned that had a draft projection of getting drafted was Trey Lamar, and it was a seventh-round grade. Everybody else was considered to be either priority free agent or an undrafted free agent. So I just wonder, like, you know, I know some of these guys graduated just because with the way that the eligibility works in college, they get that extra year. But why not go back to school? If if you're going to be a priority free agent, like, your road to the NFL is difficult. Mm Mm-hmm. So I I don't know I just I I don't get it especially when I see a guy like Greg Dorch who's super talented plays at a small program probably not a ton of guys know about him you know what what's another year in college gonna gonna do for you yeah I, it's a tough one as you're starting to see it more and more and I think maybe guys are getting some bad advice coming out of college uh, early like they are some guys just aren't academic guys and maybe the school part becomes too much of a uh, you know slog for them and they're just ready to go see if they can make it happen. Um, you know, but in, in the case of the guys that don't have a degree that leave early, uh, you really hate to see that for them, especially when they're not making it in the NFL, making it as free agents, but only for a short while when they could have had a degree that really does change your life. It is, it's tough to see. And it's something that needs to be looked at. And maybe as, as guys think about this moving forward, they'll start to use some of these guys that, that made these choices, uh, not smartly, um, and choose to do the opposite, but we'll see. And, and maybe it's a situation where eventually a stipend comes in from the NCAA because of their likenesses and some other ways to get them some money that, that maybe makes it a little easier for them to stay in college. Um, but you certainly hate to see it. Yeah. Well, you know, if they don't make it in the NFL this year and I, you know, I think a lot of these guys will end up being on like practice squads for a little bit. Um, there's always the XFL, right? which is uh, coming next year, so stay tuned. Um, that is, that's all I've got for today, Tim. You got anything else? I don't have anything else. That's it, other than the fact that talking about college football has now made the wait for college football even harder uh, than it would be before. So Yeah, you um, know, we are officially under 100 days. I think it's something like 97 days. I don't know the exact number, uh, 96, 97. So uh, that's not too far off. Um, no. it'll, it'll be here before we know it. And, uh, you know, like we said earlier, we've got the spring game recaps coming for you. That'll be kind of a a recap of last season as well. And um, I guess next time we talk to you, it's going to be Wake Forest, North Carolina. So we are not Wake Forest, excuse me. North Carolina, Louisville is who we are going to focus. We're going to go in order from worst to first as far as conference record is concerned. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Pitt and Clemson are the last two teams we will talk about. Um, Weird saying Pitt is one of the last teams we'll talk about, but you know that's that's a that's a matter for a different day. Uh, we are Chowder and Grits. You can follow us on Twitter. Please do tweet at us. We've got mailbag questions. You can visit chowderandgrits.com. Uh, check out the forums, and uh, of course, like us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram. You can listen to our podcast in a number of ways. Apple Podcast is our number one choice. Google Play Store, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and Stitcher. And Tim, why don't you go ahead and tell everybody what they can do that is, uh, you know, highly recommended? 
leave us a review. Five stars reviews certainly help get more people interested that are looking through the search filters on those various websites. So five star reviews, you can compliment our baritone voices or our handsome faces. Either one works. Both are encouraged. We look forward to getting more feedback from you guys and working to make this podcast even better. Um, And with that being said, we're going to close it out this week with a Go ACC and a Go Hokies.